good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, Mark Tallman's with me today, and I feel a little bit crazy being on his set and kind of leading the conversation. But we've got um, we've been on the road a few weeks, and we've had a great chance to talk to superintendents, other district leaders, school board members. And uh, Mark, we've we've come back a little bit, and and there's a number of questions that are still out there. And I thought we'd just get a chance today to, to visit with people, and maybe as people catch us on a, on later on in the webinar, um, to answer some of those questions. Right. That people are talking about, and so let's just start off the bat here, really quick. As we as we approach the November sixth election, what are things that superintendents, principals, school school board members, what can they do to help their staff and and patrons uh, become more prepared as that November sixth election draws near? Well, I mean, the starting point obviously is just to encourage people to participate. You know, to participate in the process, and um, our organizations and others, uh, with a lot of leadership from the service centers around yes. the state, have put together a great campaign that I hope people are using, and it's never too late to to get involved. <laughs> that has ready-made messages you can send, talking about when you need to register to vote, how you can register to vote online, extremely simple. Uh, then what the deadlines are for applying to vote in advance, if you wish, or when when the actual uh, day is leading up to that. So certainly the first thing is just to help people be aware of their of their civic duty, I think many people would say, and, and participate. And then the second thing, I think, is just to help answer questions and share information about issues. You know, we've we've often talked uh, that a lot of people wonder the line they can walk. Right. And I think the, the, the best thing I always say to remember that uh, officially a school district has to treat uh, political campaigns the same way you do a bond issue. You don't, you, a district cannot spend money to promote a vote yes or a vote no, but it can inform people and should about the issue. It can give information. And certainly then people in the community can make their own decisions. Now, school people as individuals, board members, superintendents, and others, you, know, you can express your opinion as an individual. Even there, I know sometimes school leaders are concerned about being overly political. But certainly to share information when issues come up about what's happening in education, what's happening with spending, some of the things we'll talk about today. Um, what, are, what, what do we need to look at going forward? All of those, I think, fall into your role um, of informing your public, your constituents, as a board member, the people that elect you in your community, as administrators and other school leaders, those people you're actually working for, helping them understand the issues that are out there, being able to answer their questions. You know, I think you bring... To, to point there, those two pieces, those, the getting people registered to vote. Again, you're never doing anything wrong by helping your staff get, get registered to vote, getting information out there, even for parents. Um, Certainly. You know, sending letters home from the school district, encouraging parents to get registered to vote, uh, encouraging you're, you're, government. You're, yeah, you're, you're graduating seniors, yeah. for example, those that are that are 18 or will be 18, uh, getting getting that habit of voting set. Uh, you know, participating in democracy is one of those rose standards that <laughs> the Supreme Court and the legislature has said is part of the duty, uh, you know, the function of education is, right. to, is to educate its students and certainly working with your community is part of that. Yeah, and then that other piece there is uh, just helping people become uh, more informed about what, how they can support their schools, what, what, what are the items out there that, are, that people are talking about. We hear the candidates talk about a number of items, right. and oftentimes only the few people really have the details 
as we come down to um, those those finer details of what's going on within a district. N right. No, no one knows what's truly going on in the district better than superintendent, the leadership team, and the Board of the Education. Board of Education. And yep. so I, I often talk to people who I think get frustrated why people don't know or, you know, why doesn't the why doesn't the media understand? Why do we go these questions? Well, you have to understand you start from a position of having more knowledge than everyone else. And unless you are prepared to share that, then it's probably not ter terribly surprising that, that, you know, people have questions. <laughs> Inquiring minds have questions. They want to know. <laughs> Your choice then is to either kind of kind of get defensive or resentful or that's not really my job. Um, um, or you can use that as an opportunity to educate about what's really happening. And I think, again, that's that role of the school board member, that elected school board member and, the, and, that, that, uh, and that school and that superintendent for the right. school is, is share the information with the general public. Let people know what's going on. And so, Mark, as we, as we move forward here, uh, October 16th, we remind people October 16th is the final day that they can register to vote, so help, help your teachers and staff get registered to vote there. But as we move forward, well, there's been a lot of conversation around how the dollars are being spent in the school and Absolutely. the possibility of, of schools overspending or requesting too much money along the way. What, what are some things that, that we can do to help... Um, help our general public truly understand how the dollars are being spent within our school districts, um, but at the same time, maybe create those conversations where people can ask questions. Well, you know, uh, we're, we're going to, I think, share some ideas, but I want to I suggest something that in my time at KASB, it's always struck me that we spend an awful lot of time talking about the formula. I'm sure. I'm sure that's you know we talk to we show our board you know how do all these things work. We don't spend very much time talking about maybe where the dollars go. I mean, we're certainly discussing those choices, and boards have to. We're gonna we're gonna add this position. Are we gonna what what? How are we gonna negotiate with our teachers? What's the raise we're going to get? But most of the nuts and bolts of putting together the budget and then spending it uh, is really just kind of handled by the superintendent or his or her team. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand the budget, not the formula, but the budget. And I think a lot of the discussion and confusion we frankly have is a lot of people don't really understand. You know, one of the things that I think many people forget in this whole issue of dollars to the classroom, um, you, you first have to understand that school district budgets, which all of you out there in your district have just approved and just published, right. are required to budget based on what are, what are called functions. Mm -hmm. And the biggest one is called instruction, and that's basically teacher salaries, paras, aides, coaches, people who directly are involved with students in, in teaching things, mm -hmm. uh, and then classroom materials and supplies. Uh, that is called instruction. That function is defined by the federal government. It's now defined in state law. And where we get this hang-up, I think, is because people talk about this idea, well, we want to know how many, what, what dollars are getting to the classroom. Well, dollars to the classroom isn't defined exactly. There, there's a state law which sets a policy goal that says 65% of money provided by the state, and that's not really defined either, is supposed to go 
to the classroom or instruction. Because there's no definition of the classroom, but instruction is defined, when people say, well, only 53 cents out of every dollar makes it to the classroom, they're talking about the fact that 53% of all spending basically goes to teachers and, and paras and, and people in, directly in the classroom. Most people are not aware of the names of all those other functions, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's real critical to become, to, to, you know, and again, it's all in your budget. I mean, right. go to your budget at a glance, go to your bu budget bu budget profile. I don't think we probably look at it very much that way. And, and we talked about the budget at a glance earlier this right. week, or early last week, and, and we, we kind of broke it down a little bit and really identified, unless you know what's in each of those line items, you still don't know Correct. how that money is being spent because right. those are those are broad topics, and and there's a lot of different pieces and that, that go into each one of those those budget lines. But a way I think of thinking about it, and we're deliberately trying to keep this just a conversation, is to think, you know, uh, those functions are really based on what do school districts do. So what do you do? Well, of course you teach, right? Everyone understands that. But you also support kids in different ways. So counselors and nurses and and social, social workers, workers and psychologists. That's yeah. called student support. Well, you also have libraries and media centers, professional development. You do testing. Uh, you you have curriculum specialists and technology. All, technology, yeah. all of those things. Well, that's called instructional support. You get kids to school and home and to activities. That functions transportation. We feed students. That function is, I mean, it's generally called food service. It's, it's kind of technically in a category called non-instructional services. But I think, frankly, since that term was developed, there's been more and more understanding that nutrition has a, a big impact. Role. It plays a vital role in learning as well. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that should be relabeled. But again, the, these are, these are uh, categories that have been used forever. Um, so, so those are all things. Oh, and then, of course, at the school building, we, we have a principal and, and maybe some of those assistants principles we talk about that work with kids and teachers mm -hmm. and evaluate students and do discipline and do safety and manage activities and all of those right. things, all of course of which are dedicated to students. So if you look at your budget, you're probably going to find about three-fourths of what you spend is right there. Well, what's the rest of it? Well, then, um, unless we go to an all-online world, <laughs> you have to have a building. you got the old brick and mortar That's right. There. <laughs> you have to build the building or repair the building and equip the building, and then you have to operate the building. So you need utilities, heat and light and cooling and cleaning. You need to secure the building, you know, so, so school safety. The legislature last year provided $5 million that had to be matched for school safety. That's not dollars in the classroom. Okay. Right. But that's, it's necessary. That's dollars. right. It's necessarily dollars that the legislature mm -hmm. felt apparently was pretty important. Well, that's not in that category. If you take those things, building, bond, paying, paying off bonds, those things, building operations, that's about another 20-some percent. So then the final things you have are basically general administration, the superintendent's office, the, those expenses, and central services is the category. And that's really things like payroll and accounting and those kinds of things, which, frankly, in many small districts are probably exactly the same. They're tied up. In a large district, right. you may have a payroll office and all of that. Statewide, that's less than 5%. 
So the, the, there's, I think, this dichotomy of people saying, well, if only 54% or barely half the money gets to the classroom, all the rest is just administration or overhead right. or waste. Well, no, what I think most people would say is truly administration, you know, running the operation, uh, is less than 5% statewide. Now, these are going to vary by individual districts. Right. If you're a district that has a bond issue, you obviously have a lot more debt service than one that doesn't. But if you don't have a recent building, you may have more operations. Exactly right. In fact, in fact, we've studied and looked at that. If you're a district that has a lot of transportation, you know, a widely diverse district, or frankly, a lot of kids for safety reasons, your, your transportation costs may differ. If you have more kids choosing to eat at your school. Your transport, your your food service costs may be different. And of course, the other thing we find is that the smaller district is, it often has less of those sort of student instructional supports, because in the very small district, the superintendent or the principal multiple do, roles. Do, ha, has multiple roles. roles. Yeah. But, but the fact is, those probably don't marry, vary dramatically. And again, if you just look at your, your budget, your budget mm-hmm. at a glance, kind of gives a high-level thing. I just happen to look today your budget profile. Um, for each of those functional categories, your, your budget lists what you are budgeted to spend from every fund and a total. So I, I think the key here to understand is when people are talking about not enough getting to the classroom, well, then the question has to be asked, so what do you want to stop doing or right. shift? So before we get there, Rob, let's, let's put up Mark's um, graph there. And this is something Mark put out in a blog earlier this month, or excuse me, earlier in September. And so as we look at this, we can see our general instruction right here, Mark. Right. And so in order for us to put more money into instruction, directly into instruction, what has to happen? Well, you it, very, very simple. One, one of two things either has to happen. You have to add a lot more money to instruction and mm-hmm. nothing else. That would increase. Or you can take money away from other areas and shift it there. Problem is that when you go when you go through that, and let's just start with that little blue slice at the top, which shows us that we basically spend statewide about two percent on general administration, two percent on central services. So mm-hmm. if, let's say we cut that in half. Somehow we were managed to eliminate half the administration. Now I've never seen anyone suggest that 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 that's possible. But if you did that, that would only save to reallocate 2%. You know, that gets you from 54% to 56%. Statewide. Statewide. So let's look at some other things on that wheel. Well, debt services. Well, unless you're going to default on your bonds, (laughs) you're not going to change that very much. Facilities acquisition and construction, those are basically the current capital capital outlay cost. Well, you could could stop repairing your buildings. Operations and maintenance, again, in, in le- without for, for many buildings, unless you do a bond issue or some other repair to make them more efficient, about the only way to cut those costs would be to close buildings. So, right. so be honest. I mean, one way some district and you know there have been post audit studies that have said this, many districts could close a building and save money. But is that what that community wants? Is that right. best for that community? Or is best that for those kids? Best for those kids, exactly. Yeah. And, and then and, and you may in- increase your transportation and, costs exactly. on the other side. Exactly. And then as you just move around the wheel, well, school administration, one have fewer principals. Well, we've done research that says that, you know, Kansas is really right at the national average in terms of total principals below 
uh, the highest achieving states. Right. Um, food service. Well, you really can't shift anything there because, in fact, you know, all the money comes from either kids paying for meals or federal support for meals. Um, so unless you have some general fund and, support. And some data on that is we don't receive any more money for free and reduced students than we have in, in the past, correct? Uh, correct. But our expenses correct. continue to grow. Right. In the food uh, services so, 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 you know, well, you, you, some districts could, could probably, uh, if, you're, if you're providing some transfers, you could, you, could, uh, you could transfer that to general fund, but that's going to raise prices on families and kids for meal support. Transportation, well, you could cut support for kids less than two and a half miles, but as we know, for many districts, that's for safety, that's for attendance, that, that's because the community wants that and supports that. Uh, instructional staff, well, you could you could close your library. Uh, you could do less technology support. I, I, I suppose you could you could test students a little bit less, but I don't think the, the, the legislature in the state has much interest there's in that. Requirements there's that so there's a lot of requirements there. <laughs> so finally, you're left with student support. Well, would our kids be better off with fewer counselors or fewer nurses or, or, or many positions, which actually have been caught, caught in the last decade, and yeah. we've just been trying to, to build back up. To build them back That's up. right. Yeah. So I think the obligation comes if you're talking about shifting five, you know, ten percent, twenty percent in that area. You have to have a conversation about how dramatically different your district would have to be. What we find is that Kansas is really pretty typical among other states. Actually, among our operating budget. A larger percent of money goes to instruction uh, than mo- we're something like 12th or 15th in the country in terms of the highest percentage. So if of you're looking just done. at that, that right. chart, when you look just at instruction, we're probably we're 12th or 13th in the nation as a, as a percent of our operating okay. budget. Okay. And and that's and that's I think key because that's another thing to understand is that you've kind of and Rob put that chart up one more time. We keep asking to put that back up. So if you look at at uh, at at the the pink portion and facilities acquisition and construction that that's really what what is non-operations that's capital expenditures Mm -hmm. well all of that debt service is basically coming from bond issues that that couldn't be shifted and and much of the rest comes from capital outlay dollars which are are set by your mill levy in fact it are the, it's those items that school districts and voters have a little more control over virtually everything in green and and the operations and maintenance red in the blue the total amount you can spend there uh, your operating budget that's what's really set by the state mm-hmm. through the base aid through weightings and then caps on the local option budget so districts can't just say well we're not going to spend as much on on bonds or capital outlay we're going to transfer this over uh, to the general fund can't okay. really do that now they can they they do have flexibility within those pieces but, but again, when you compare to other states and look at operations and not capital costs, then we find that Kansas really ranks pretty high uh, in, in that area already. Yeah. And, and I think it ought to be said, too, that our, our districts and our school boards and our superintendents do a great job of keeping a, great, a, a close eye on that debt services. And if there's ways to save 
you know, a dollar. They're they're looking at those at all at all times and how sure. they can save the community, save the community do- tax dollars, save the school district dollars, and, and get those debts reduced. But correct. But I do know, you know, traveling the state, we have a number of districts that that maybe haven't had seen the growth as some districts, and so they haven't done building projects or they haven't sure. done. But you see their capital outlay being a little bit higher because they have continual improvements that they have to maintain in those right. buildings, uh, there's a, roofs and and parking lots and nip tucks and. and Sure. We we have a, I don't remember the number of districts. Many don't have a, have bond issues. Many do. I think it's still something like 80, 80 districts of our two hundred eighty six have no capital outlay levy. Either the board hasn't presented it or the community mm-hmm. hasn't supported it. They're having to make their their capital expenditures uh, out of, out of other functions. That that tends to make a difference as well. Um, and so, to some extent, what we spend in these areas um, is really what the community supports. Schools are sometimes criticized. Well, your your buildings are too lavish. Well, those are all approved by voters. And although there is state aid for lower wealth districts, the way the formula works, even with state aid, those districts are actually paying a a higher amount for that money. State aid brings it down a little bit. It doesn't make it less expensive. It's actually still a little bit more expensive. It just keeps it from being dramatic differences. So these are things that apparently voters, I mean, often legislators talk about, well, let let the people decide. Right. These are cases where, where the public has decided. has decided. So as we look at this, and Rob has got a graphic for us too, um, this is something you can do in your own district to help your public, help your general public and your teaching staff understand where your budget goes. And so um, we Wichita was gracious enough to share their their graphic with us. And so uh, as we look at the Wichita district, you have in the blue there that general instruction, which is almost identical uh, to the state. Now, they've recategorized um, some of the other items just a little bit different, Mark. Help right. us understand Well, I, and, and again, you, it, it, it kind of just depends. The easiest thing to do is what we did is just pull those top little level functions. Now, Wichita, has they've changed chosen, for example, to pull out utilities, uh, which, as you can see, they're 2.3% different from, and I'm trying to look around the wheel, um, facilities maintenance, Mm 7.3%. I think, I'm guessing that in in their budget, if you just looked at operations and maintenance, uh, they would be together. They're a good example of a district whose business support services, 4.4%, is a little high. Their general administration total, though, would be lower uh, at at, at 1%. But bottom line is it's not going to be dramatically different. Their school administration uh, may be a little high uh, compared to this. They may have put other things in there. So the key is just, I think, if you're going to do this, whatever you think your uh, uh, public would best understand, just be be prepared to explain it if it looks different than what's in your budget documents. Because my point is, I keep going back to those budget documents, that's what's on the KSD website. Website. That's what anyone can can mm-hmm. see and download. Or, or their own district budget. Exactly, at your own district budget plans. So if you're going to do something that looks a little bit different, that's fine because, as you say, those categories are not necessarily very self-explanatory. But if you are going to rearrange the dollars a little bit, just need to be prepared to explain. How, why, how, how you've done how it, it looks, so right? Yeah. And and would just note um, that's a that's a beautiful graphic that they've done. What we did was just a PowerPoint pie chart mm-hmm. where we just pulled the statewide information. Very simple to do, but should anyone need help doing it, we'd be happy to do it. And and again, that's a great way of sharing that information with your with your public and and, and getting the message out there. This right. is this is how our dollars are spent. No matter what anybody else says, 
this this is the document right, right. here. Here it is. So uh, we also had uh, Valley Center. Corey Gibson uh, sent us a, kind of another way of looking at mm-hmm. it, um, and you can see where where Dr. Gibson has. Um, the the cost per student out there, mm-hmm. where he he actually put out there, they spend about ten thousand dollars per student, and he broke it down for each student what it looks like in the budget. Right, and I think that 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 may also help people understand. You know, if you're talking about well, we spent you know four hundred and thirty thousand on school administration. <laughs> you know. Now, How does that help my right, kid? If you're expen- if you're if you're expressing that as a as a percent, it may make sense. Doing it on a per pupil basis, though, may help explain because one of the things we often hear people saying, "Well, I can't believe it's eleven thousand, twelve. You know, the a- statewide average is again. It kind of depends mm-hmm. on your student count, and there's different ways of getting there. But twelve to thirteen thousand. I, I don't think we should be ashamed of that number. A lot of people say, "Well, that just sounds too high." Well, that's the number, but understand everything that goes into right, that component. Exactly what they exactly they have here in the Valley Center graphic. And that may mean that for a quote average student, you know, if you're a student who's not riding the bus, not getting fed at school, probably aren't too many like that, but let's say <laughs> you anymore. still you go say you go home for lunch. I I did a long many many decades ago, not getting special education services, you know, um, and maybe not being sent to the principal's office, you know, take you know, it may not it may not seem that much, but when you look at to say uh, this becomes an average, here's what it costs per pupil to get kids to school. Mm-hmm. Here's what it costs to feed them every day. Here's the average cost of providing those special services for kids with, with disabilities right. that, that have uh, uh, larger needs. Here's what we spend uh, on, again, the, the, the maybe health services counselors. Here's what it takes to operate the building. Here's and what it, it takes to build the building. And I think we could throw in the idea that there are certain classes that cost more to teach than others. A sure. lab class in science is going to be traditionally more expensive or a CTE a CTE course or even a, a more specialized advanced study academic class that has mm-hmm. fewer kids. Um, it would it would be even different if you could break this down. You, you literally could break you could break it down extremely far. Um, but, but in fact, as we know, most costs are kind of spread throughout the building and really even the district. But but that per pupil basis, I think, is a way of of helping. Just another way to explaining to people who may not be very familiar with schools or, or have kind of forgotten mm-hmm. all the other things that schools do. Now, I, I think another point before I let it go that our man Scott Rothschild shared with us <laughs> is just to uh, j- just to note, you know, another way of thinking about that, that roughly 5% that we spend on uh, on basic true administrative overhead. Mm-hmm. Not, not much, although I think a lot of superintendents would tell you they see kids and they see teachers there involved. But let's just assume that you didn't do that. Um, uh, you know, he, he pulled some information uh, of studies that look at charities, for example. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, a, a charity that raises that is able to contribute 75 cents out of every dollar to the cause and 25 percent to to operate the charity or in effect to get the money is considered pretty good 90 percent is considered excellent so uh, our five percent our five percent looks pretty good looks the, really the good. legislature makes an allotment i think it's still 10 percent of money that is contributed to the private school scholarship program those organizations are able to keep money for their operations so i think it's 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 very unrealistic to suggest that you can't have some degree of administration 
administration. No organization does. You can't function and that That's way. right. But if you put it in the context of other organizations of other states, no, it's not. 43, you know, 53% gets to kids, so well, 47% must be administration. That's not even remotely the case. And, and by all measures, our administrative costs are, are very in line with other organizations. In fact, some people may have seen we've done some blogs and video talking about school staffing compared mm-hmm. to the overall public and private sector. Nothing indicates Kansas schools are are out of line. In many cases, uh, they appear to be less uh, intensively involved in in management and supervision costs and those sorts of things. Right. So I think that's a that's that's maybe I'd, a way I'd invite it to people to raise those questions. Again, I would start by saying, you know, don't be defensive. Right. But if someone, how efficient are we? Well, compared to what? Are we wasting money compared to what? Could we could we shift dollars to other other places? Sure, but what's but what are you going to give up? And that's where that that great conversation comes with the community. Right. Whether you're inviting them for a site council meeting at, at a at a school or a district site council meeting, or just a general meeting at a board meeting. Sure. And you've got you open it up to you know here's our budget here's our budget at a glance. Um, here's a graphic of how we're spending the dollars. Are there questions or are there concerns? And uh, and I know each year, um, oftentimes in July, um, before the budgets are approved, there's um, there's an opportunity for the general public to come in and, and ask the school board. Absolutely. Um, and are encouraged in many cases to ask the school board about the budget. And, uh, and oftentimes... We, we see very few people show up for those meetings. Well, that's true. And and my guess is that if the average person opened up that document, they wouldn't get much out of it either. And that and that's part of the problem. And I think so. Yeah. I think that's why some yeah. of these graphics and, and, are, are helpful and are very helpful. And, and, you know, that's the thing. The legislature has in recent years mandated a lot more reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to make it simple and easy, though. And I, and I know the State Department, uh, KSDE, Dale Dennis's people do their best to make it as easy for districts and be consistent and follow the law. But the point is that that doesn't that still doesn't make it incredibly user friendly. And I think, you know, you, you talk about meetings, but I would just encourage our school leaders. You know, most of you now you have Facebook pages and Twitter accounts. And so do your individual board members and all of that. You may you know, you, you have newsletters and everything. Well, that's where you can discuss these things, kind of kind of take take a topic and, and certainly one that everyone's concerned about right now. Is this the way we spend money? Well, right. spend some time talking about how you spend money. Money, how it's changed, how the board makes mm-hmm. decisions around what priorities ought to be. You know, and I think one of the, you know, we, you talked about a little bit earlier, s- school security. As we look at hiring resource officers or we hire retired police officers to come into our schools as security personnel, again, we start seeing a brand new shift in our school budgets, maybe away from instruction to, again, more school support. Um, for school right. security officers. And where I think is the question is my guess is that most people, it would not occur to them that putting a school resource officer in your building to keep it safe would not be considered dollars to the clock. Maybe I'm wrong, you know, but I, I just don't think people would, would say, no, wait a minute, that that shouldn't count as a positive thing. You, right. you, we would be, we'd be going the wrong way if we did that. Yeah. Um, but but that that's the way it is. In fact, one of the things I always point out, no, no offense to coaches and sports and activities, but coaches' salaries are considered part of instruction because for the most part, it's part of the teacher's salary. Right. The librarian isn't. 
Or the counselor. Or the counselor, uh, all those things. So, uh, And that's why it's important to understand the, the limitations uh, of those categories. Um, the legislature itself, again, we talked about more safety money. Another thing the legislature did last year is add $10 million for mental health support. Mm-hmm. None of that will count as dollars yeah, to the classroom. So those districts that got those grants to help their kids be safe, their instruction percent may have gone down as a result of that. But the legislature recognized that was important. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those districts are doing the best with the dollars uh, that they have. So those are the conversations you you can't assume, and this I think is the great problem, you can't assume that people know that just because you know that. And again, I think it talks about, it talks to the idea of the changing role of our schools and what we do in our schools. Our schools are, are so much more than they once were. 10 years ago, but especially 40 or 50 years ago, where we talked about the security and the mental health and um, the technology and some of those pieces that continue to roll in there, more and more counselors and social workers. Um, You had a graphic last year where you talked about all the new lines that we've added to school budgets because of all these additional roles that schools have kind of picked up over the years, roles that everybody feel are important. And and I want to give uh, credit to to one of the a Topeka journalist that I that I talked with a lot, Nick Gosnell with WIBW, mm-hmm. uh, who really I, who who kind of crystallized it for me in a way. So much of these additional outside the classroom costs we've added to reach those kids who aren't being successful because you know when i was in school the focus was on the classroom because if you didn't get it and you didn't graduate and you weren't going to college we could do something with you and so the we 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 did well with you know kids who did pretty well mm-hmm. and we didn't worry as much about the others I've always pointed out that if it was just a matter of schools, you know, just simple good teaching, then we wouldn't have the significant gaps we have between kids low income, non-low income. I mean, it would just be random, right? right. If it was just a matter of teaching, then then student poverty shouldn't make any difference. Right. We know it makes a profound difference. Well, there's a limit to what you can do in the classroom to make up for those other issues that the student brings to school. Now, some of it may be early childhood where you hire that teacher. Mm -hmm. But so much of what we've added, whether it's feeding these kids, whether it's more counselors, whether whether it's better transportation, safer transportation to make sure kids get there, Um, of course, everything, uh, the whole host of of, uh, uh, special education-related services that that has been added, um, those are all things that school districts have done. They benefit all students, but in particular, they are how we help kids who in the past weren't as successful so we can do a better job making all kids successful. And I think that's just, again, part of this. uh, uh, That may seem so obvious to us, um, (laughs) but it wasn't until I kind of heard Nick talk about it that it sort of struck me. What a great way to explain why we have these other programs and and why why their costs are increasing. Right. And that really kind of brings us to our, our final topic today is what can our school leaders do to help keep their community and patrons informed of what the future looks like right. because again as we see where we're going with the kansas can initiative the school redesigns um, the increased need for mental health and early childhood and um who knows right. what's out there uh, those are those are again those are rising cost increasing cost and 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 professional development and the redesign of what we do with our staffs so 
So, Mark, as we move forward, what are what do our school board members and our, our superintendents and our and our principals need to do to help patrons um, look towards the future uh, when we're when we're talking about something that's so finite today? Well, I think one thing uh, is to not be afraid to look back a little bit. In fact, we've just posted something today. We have new new data from the U.S. Census Bureau uh, that that shows again in 2017 uh, we made progress as a state in terms of things like our graduation rate, post-secondary participation. But more important, those have been rising literally for decades. So we, we often hear this criticism, well, we, we've, we've added all this money and education hasn't changed very much. Well, if you're looking at, at, at kind of short-term test scores and things like that, you, you may not see as much change as you as we'd all like to see. If you look at, at the, the, the percent of our population that is moving to higher levels, it's, it's, really, it's really quite in, in my view, it's really quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. We forget that in the good old days, you know, and the leave it to beave it world, where everybody <laughs> graduated from high school, didn't went on to college, it was wonderfully successful, and had a house with a white picket fence. Well, you know, I always point out it wasn't until 1965, 66 that half the U.S. population had finished high school. Yeah. You know, and, and when I when I was a, a, a young man, the, the expectation was maybe 10 or 20 percent uh, of the population. Uh, had gone on to college. You know, now we know that about 70-some percent of jobs. So on one hand, note that we have made progress, and we've done it by investing in resources, but we also know it isn't enough. We have to continue to get better. So I think a lot of it is just helping your community understand their past, but the the challenges that remain, Mm -hmm. where we have to go next, and then talk about the the things that your district is looking at uh, to try to continue to reach kids. I I will throw a plug, of course, to our leadership services folks and where they work with districts (laughs) and do long-range planning and are working with the school redesign teams. Uh, You know, what they're really saying is uh, the redesign can't just be the idea of the board or, you know, you you have to involve the whole community. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to have these conversations about what has changed and what are our what are our students going to need to be successful in the future it is a simple fact more of them not all of them more of them are going to have to have some type of college uh, technical degrees more are going to have to have um, uh, further academic degrees because the workforce is going to require that and and by the way that will do more to make sure those kids are economically successful and can raise their families if they have those skills so we've been getting better we have to continue getting better so what's the strategy what do you talk to your community about You know, I think what we've been hearing for two years now really boils down into a couple of key things. We have to continue to expand our early childhood program Mm -hmm. so kids start better, right? We have to continue to provide uh, resources uh, to help kids who haven't caught up or who fall behind or have special challenges. So whether this is special education, whether these are before and after school programs, whether these are more intensive kind of interventions, you know, we've we've seen that programs um, like Reading Roadmap mm-hmm. has real results, but it's an expensive program. Right. It requires you to do more. Reach out to the kids. Go visit their families. Get more involved. We know we need to have um, better career preparation. 
and that takes more time to work with kids and their families. We know in many cases we will have to have or at least maintain a, a broader curriculum to prepare kids for what they want to do, whether that's more AP-type classes or more concurrent enrollment classes or more CTE classes or the right kind of CTE classes. And then finally, we know that we've become less competitive in terms of our salaries for teachers and other educators, uh, and frankly, just other school staff. So talking about how we've kind of fallen behind, what we want to do. I think if you look at those things, that focus on early childhood, supporting kids, making sure all of them have good, equal opportunities, a better focus on preparation for post-secondary, oh, better better focus on post-secondary education. I think the other big one is safety, Mm -hmm. whether that is uh, keeping the building secure, but also maybe more critically important, dealing with the emotional and physical health of kids, the the concerns over suicide and and mental issues that are facing kids, the the medical problems uh, that they bring to school, the opioid, we could go on and on. We could go a long time. But all of those are, are challenges that are out there that require schools to do things differently, provide different resources or reallocate resources. So I think both short-term and long-term, these are the things that as you're talking about, we'll go back to the district communications from social media to newsletters, having these questions front and center of your board meetings so that if your board meeting is televised or covered by the paper, districts have the opportunity to hear them. And then things as simple as just getting out and um, you know, just going to the local service clubs and 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 having having meetings in different neighborhoods and having having a presence. Uh, uh, you know, morning using coffee. your site councils, the morning <laughs> coffee, all those wonderful things. All those things are an opportunity. Yeah. And I just think the critical thing is to understand. Sometimes what we see is perhaps you know hostility or opposition. It may be that people just don't understand, and, and if you're willing to sit mm-hmm. down and have that conversation with them, you can help them understand, and part of it's listening to them as well. What, right. what are their concerns? What do they think you're, you know, what, yeah. what ideas do they have can be a part of it. But it just, I think, very clearly means we have to do more to reach, reach out about what we've done well, where we, the improvement we've made, why we need to continue to get better and the kinds of things that we're going to have to do differently if we're going to get there because as every you know the old saying if you're going to if you're going to do the same thing you're probably going to get the same results yeah. and so if we want significantly different results better results then we're going to have to talk about what how can we change things uh, to be more successful without giving up the things we're doing that, that are working well for so many students? And, and I think that the piece, Mark, that where our two organizations really can come in to help here. If you're a, if you're a Wichita and, and you've got all you've got support around you or you're um, even a four, even three A districts where right. you have a nice support team around you, you've got some opportunities to get people together and have these good conversations uh, and help you put graphs together or help Help you put charts or videos or or help you with the Facebook or Twitter feeds out there. Um, You know, I think the thing that I'd like to add to people out there is if you feel like you don't have the support and you can't um, you can't do some of these things on your own. We're always available, right. willing to help. You, you've got your staff. We've got our staff at USA. We want to be a resource to you. So if you feel like there's things that you want to do and put together, 
don't hesitate to, to pick up the phone, drop us an email and say, hey, I'd like to do this for my community, but I'm not quite sure how to get started. Can you help? And, and just something, you know, that I would add, um, uh, I, I hope everyone knows, but I know not everyone does know, <laughs> that we, we at KASB put out virtually daily an email update that links to many of the resources I'm going to mention. If you're not getting that, you've either told us you don't want to, haven't given us an email, or it's being blocked. And so <laughs> if you're not getting it, and that sounds fantastic, check your spam, check mm-hmm. your junk mail, or check with us. But but as part of that, you know, we regularly, I, I do a regular blog on various issues. We're trying to produce charts and graphs that, that might give you ideas. We're doing videos like this, podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to do that. We've, we've really stepped that up. But that will only reach so many people directly from us. Right. You have the opportunity to share those through your networks or just use them as ideas yeah. uh, to, to, to tell your, your own, own. story. Yeah. So see them see them as a, a template. I'm always, you know, I will frequently get emails saying, well, Mark, I, I read this blog. Can I copy that? Can I use that? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's what it's for. You can, abs- you can cite me. You can not cite me. You can rewrite it. But anything we present are things that you can use. Um, however you want to use it. We, we trust you to use it well. Yeah, and I think we do the same thing at USA. Um, today, hitting your inbox if for our members or the, the October Under the Umbrella issue of our new magazine. It's got a number of items in there. We talk about the Coffeeville redesign. We hear from um, Dr. Correll and, and his principals on that program and how they uh, things they've gone through. Uh, they kind of explain it for them. We've got uh, our new USA Kansas app that you can download at USAK. And again, a way another way of avoiding the right. email. Um, I'm very envious of that. That sounds like a great deal. <laughs> so push that information out. But again, if there's ever a question, if there's ever need for support, um, I guess what I'm saying in our world and in, in, in Kansas right now, uh, to say it's not available is not asking. Whether you're asking yeah. us, you're asking a neighbor district, um, whether it's you know, we can provide you with someone that's nearby you that can be there as a supporter, we can be there and help you as well. And so I think with our technology world that we have today, there's a lot of ways of delivering that message. And it's it's not so much encouragement anymore as it's it really is part of your job, isn't it? As yes. a superintendent, as a school board member, delivering that information and, and being that spokesman for kids and for Kansas schools is really what we need to be doing. You know, if if the people, the public doesn't understand what we're doing and support it, then there isn't going to be the support at the board level. There's not going to be support at the at the legislative level, the governor's level, the state board level, uh, to do the things that I think I think most leaders need to be done. So, um, if if we're committed to continue to improve our educational outcomes, and we're committed to doing things like redesigning schools, then the only way to be successful, really, is to make sure that um, that the public from the local level, spreading all across the state, uh, understands that, understands why, what we're doing, feels they have some ownership in it, right. um, and, and, and it not just the schools are out doing this on their own, or this is a top-down thing. Right. That's where we get into trouble. Helping people understand where their dollars are going. Yes, yes. The dollars that they're spending. So, well, Mark, thanks for spending time with us. Rob and Jerry behind the scene back here. Thank you for our support. Um, but again, we're on the road this week. We're going to be in, we'll be in Lawrence today or tonight at 530. We'll be in Emporia tomorrow, McPherson on Wednesday and Manhattan on Thursday. 
And then we take a week off, and then we're at Garden City, Garden Colby, City. Beloit, the uh, third weekend of October. So a lot of a lot of folks still to see. We hope you'll come out and join us and give us feedback to this and other things. Yep. Thanks again.